so we can't say anything weird. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for this day and the joy of the fellowship we have. Thank you for your word. In your son's name, amen. This morning's sermon is, is as you know, is that, that annual struggle, and Stacy was talking to me about it. She's been following my career, um, at least attentively. Uh, she's been alert to the crisis of, of uh, sermon prep that I go through every year. Do you preach? She and Chuck were talking on the way to church. Is he going to destroy the mothers in the crowd or lift them up? Destroy or lift them up? You'll have to tell me afterwards. But uh, I sort of stumbled uh, into chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs. This is one of those sections of the scripture that is written by someone we don't know who he was. Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. And chapter 30 is by him. Chapter 31, the famous one, is by uh, Lemuel, the oracle. King Lemuel, the oracle. And I've been looking at 31. I I hadn't gone through 31, the famous... Proverbs 31 woman and, and it's just, women get to listen to the passages go by them and, and feel good about the stuff they do with their lives and it's very very positive um, so I was looking at it but then my eye jumped over to chapter 30 which I have never gone through the, we had a Proverbs Bible study we went through it but um, he had a number of comments about moms in chapter 30 I said, hmm, let's see if we can build something here. Now, I'm not, I'm going to admit something at the outset. Eger, whoever he was, had a, a style that you'll note. Three things are weird. Four are, and then he would give you three or four things. He had a numeric device that he'd like to draw your attention to things by it. And it's sort of epigrammatic. There's a you know, proverbial moment, each paragraph. And I can't say that there's any clear context. These might be collected sayings of Agur, not to be read in a series. But having read them, starting with with verse 11, and we're going down through verse uh, 33, um, the combination of the day and his advice, the sort of thing that you want to hear as a mom, as a potential mom, as a, the temptations, that not, not the crimes, but the temptations. There are those, verse 11 of chapter 30, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. I don't know if you knew there are those. And the pattern here in the first set, first paragraph, is that there are those. Maybe all one kind of person. There are those who are pure in their own eyes but are not cleansed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords 
whose teeth are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among men. There are those. And the nice thing about reading Solomon's Proverbs or anyone's Proverbs, if you ever, you ever read someone, I always like, you know, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. Well, I like C.S. Lewis for his clarity on one hand and his observation of humanity. He observed it so naturally, so easily, and describes it so well. You know that someone who's a social philosopher, someone who is giving you wisdom of life, has to have had experience in looking at people. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. It might be the same person who is pure in his own eyes and is not cleansed from their filth. These are people, if there's any common thread here of these, there are those, is the almost defiant self-elevation. They curse their fathers because, well, who's the big dog in the room? Dad. They don't like anyone above them. And their mother, who's been slaving away for the decades of their life, doesn't get blessed in spite of all the blessing she is given. Because this person is about their own place, their own purity, even though they're filthy. And I think it's all a group. The reason I think it's a group is verse 13. There are those, and it doesn't give you a description. It just, I mean, a description of a, of a, of a mental crime, but just a visual description. How lofty are their eyes? How high their eyelids lift? What? Lofty eyes, eyelids lifting. Well, you know the look. You know the look, the, 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 the superior arrogance of somebody who waits on you at Nordstrom's. Not Nordstrom's rack, because I know you all go to the rack because they will look at you directly at the rack. But at Nordstrom's, or Neiman Marcus, the eyelids come up, the head goes back. They know where you're from because you can go to a Nordstrom's in Spokane where they'll look at you from Moscow as being, oh, you're from Moscow, I see. We're a big city, you are not. Then you go to, is there an Neiman Marcus in Seattle? Anybody know? Because Neiman Marcus is above Nordstrom. I don't know if you knew the status thing. Well, you go to this other place, and they say, oh, you've been to Spokane. I say Spokane. Small town. You know the lifted eyelid. You've had it done to you. What is that person? Well, that person, you're supposed to look at. He's telling you there are those who don't have the, the simplest, politest acquiescence to fatherhood, motherhood, their own condition. They don't know themselves. They're full of themselves, though. And their teeth are swords. They chew up the needy. So here's, a, here's what we're faced with. What I want to encourage the moms. We got one perspective, two perspective moms, one more imminent than the other. How far along are you? 19 weeks. She's way ahead of you. 
Anybody else preggers? I can never keep track. Okay, fine. We got prospective moms. We got moms long standing. Mothers are you know, wonderfully, potentially wonderfully capable, but also they're potentially wonderfully not. You can see that on TV. And we want to separate the Christian wives from the, from the stupid by making them capable. The next chapter is all about their capabilities. Their children rise up and call them blessed. We know that's there. So this is the admonition. I wanted to go through chapter 30. Some of the things that Agur says um, point to uniquely specific temptations. He starts out the chapter. We're told to stop and think. We're supposed to look at this and understand what he's getting at. Although at the beginning of the chapter, verse of chapter 30. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. Surely I'm too stupid. Then he advises you to get the knowledge. What's he say? I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. He's, a, he's laying out this need to know. But let you know, there are those. We want to be the kind of people that bless our mothers. We want to be the kind of mothers that are blessed. Not that they're just blessing you because there was a Hallmark holiday that said you have to send a card to this person who bore you merely for that. You want to be the blessed mother. But there's something wrong with the person who doesn't. Well, to the mothers this morning is you don't want to raise the person who does not see the blessing of mother, the honor of father, who started to have too much self, um, beneficial self-assessment, their own ideas are... Um, Inflated, it says in the New Testament, let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think. One of the key things that we're lacking today in child rearing, unless I cover this in our seminars on it, parents have no means of teaching humility. Parents have no way of, there's a key moral, attitudinal, saying that everybody is so working so hard to get the self-esteem cranked up. The opposite to that is humility, and they don't have it. These uh, people, there are those, have reasons for what they are. They have reasons for what they say, reasons for what they don't say. To be the mother who is not just a hard-working mom. The one described in Proverbs 31, the wisdom is on her tongue. You know, that this is someone 
who stop to read this and realize there's patterns in this thought. There are those, there are those, there are those. What am I to make of this? How am I to understand this? Surely, I don't want to be a hardworking but stupid mother. I want to be a hardworking or stupid father. None of us do, but we have to sort of apply it to Mother's Day. We've got to give them a card and got to apply the sermon to it. I think those are the rules. But this is really about, some of these passages are really uniquely feminine temptations. Look at this next, 15. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. Three things are never satisfied, for never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the earth ever thirsty for water, and the fire which never says enough. Now here's an interesting, you've learned something about Eger's oracular power. He sets up this numeric thing, two, three, four, and then he hands you the four, three of which don't count. You don't need to even be thinking about Sheol, that's Hades, <coughs> the place of the dead. It never says enough, it's never full. And the rain, the thirsty earth, or fire that's consuming an ancient city or a forest fire. I never seems to say enough. Yeah, he's not trying to teach you stuff about horticulture and fire retardation and, and the, the drought in California. You're not supposed to be going, oh yeah, we got a really good verse about the drought in California this morning at church. You all know that Hades won't say enough. They're brackets. They're to give you information when he says there are four things that never say enough. You're on board with three of them. And the barren womb is the fourth. When we were newly married, we thought Leslie was unable to have children. <coughs> Wasn't sure whether I was barren or she was barren, but we weren't able to have kids. That's why we bought the big house. <laughs> Oops. Then our beloved children came along. Beloved. Thank you. Are we being sarcastic? But we went through some difficult times, spiritually. Every one of our friends was having babies. Just like when everybody you knew was getting married, you're either a maid of honor or you're a bride. Every summer. And then everybody was popping out babies, and, and we weren't popping out babies. You, after you have a kid, you have you have one kid, you could say, I think that's enough. I could have another one, but I've had one. I've had 12. I could have another, but psh, I can stop. It's like alcoholism. I can, I can stop. But not having one... There's a desire. It, 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 enough isn't there for that. And so, what happens? And it doesn't happen just, you understand the bit. You see this with Hannah in the scriptures. You see it with Sarah. You see it with um, various stories of barrenness and how hard it is. Oh, that's one temptation. That's, that's fine. We, that's direct. The problem is, is what does the woman do to her children? 
when she's not barren anymore? What are the temptations of the barren woman who has a child? What happened to Sarah? Not godliness. Now she hated Hagar and Ishmael. But she had set up that relationship with Abraham. We want to be the kind of people, and in the case of moms, the kind of mothers that don't have these normal things, need to understand what's going on when a certain phenomena happens to you. In this case, the desperation of barrenness ends up being a separate temptation altogether. The desperation feeds into something else when childhood comes along, when God answers the prayer. It's one temptation while it's barren, so when it's never satisfied. Thy that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. I liked how it reversed it a little bit. That first one in verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. And now it's those who mock a father and scorns to obey a mother. Different things. Cursing is shaking your fist at the power above you. Curse you. Mocking is what Walt Disney does. Stupid fathers always doing the stupid thing. Never understanding the children. The children understand perfectly the world and the things around them. Moms understand partially and understand the stupidity of their husband and, and the wisdom of their children. And so they're allowed to come along and allowed to be blessed in a Walt Disney film. Fathers are complete idiots. I think uh, Brian Regan has that great scene and it's always talks about men in commercials that are always stuck at the Venetian blinds in the background because they're such idiots and the wife is in the foreground lecturing you about the great wisdom she has about all things but look at my husband, what a tard you know um, and that's what we are to some who mock a father, because that's what you do when you don't like someone above you, you try to make them their power, their authority, their height, look ridiculous. Scorns to obey a mother. You don't bless your mom. Your mom has been there serving you. Making you peanut butter jelly sandwiches and cutting the crusts off because you asked. Cutting the crusts off? You've got to be kidding. That's where all the vitamins are. At least my mother told me that. I don't know how vitamins got into the crust, but... Uh, But mothers are also in charge. This kind of person who scorns to obey a mother. The eye that does this will be picked out. That's why I bolted those things together. The eye will be picked out. I've seen ravens do this. Not to people. But like to other animals. Or I've seen falcons come down. And uh, We had one in the yard years ago. And Graham tried to sneak up on it to, tearing a squirrel to pieces in our yard in the snow. Very visually pleasing. 
uh, blood everywhere. But uh, it's not a. It's not a. The idea of me having no burial, his eye will be picked out. It's not like, oh, he's dead. It's not like he's going to feel it. But I gave you this verse in Ecclesiastes about having no burial. That was one of the worst curses, that your body would just lay out on the surface to be eaten by dogs, to be taken away by scavenger birds, to have a raven poke out your eyeball and take it home to the kids. Because you're nobody. Well, you don't, as, as, as parents, we know that we're dealing with, all of our kids are growing up with potential re- rebellion against God at some point in their lives. It's, they're freely making some choices there. We know that the crisis of this path will be punished. Whatever they're doing, the cursing or mocking, or scorning or not blessing, they're, they're asking for trouble. The more you understand as a parent, husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, the more you understand, the more you understand that there are those, that there are things that tempt us as parents. Not that are tempting our kids. Our kids go through normal temptations, pretty much. They find out that what cool is. And of course, the parents have no clue what cool is now. They find out what sex is. Ah! The parents are going, well, we knew about that already. That's why you're here. But the kid, it's like, you know, front page. Women, girls. We have to be more attentive. Their, their temptations are pretty standard. Ours can be pretty sophisticated. Like the sensation, the desperation for children. I know people who never encountered barrenness, but who the presence of children is almost a desperate thing they worship. And then the desperate thing they worship makes life hell for those children. And the kid scorns to obey their mother because I know a situation we've been counseling that's just not in our church, but just the desperation of mom destroyed the marriage. Husband left her. Kids don't want to have anything to do with her. She's almost insane. Desperately trying to bring Jesus into their lives. And she was always trying to put something because of her desperation, not because it was the wisest thing to do. These realities seem to encourage that desperation. The eye of my child will be picked out by a raven. He'll be lying dead on the surface of the ground, being eaten by scavenger dogs. I don't want that. I'd better get desperate. That's a warning to the child. (laughs) Don't say, this is inspiration for me as the overly uh, concerned mother. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas and the way of a man with a maiden. 
The first three don't count. Not I'm really interested in herpetology. Well, big book. Nobody else is. Least of all the biblical writer. Nor is he a nautical uh, architect. Nor is he someone into birds of prey. This is not a verse for them. This is a verse about, you know what's weird? Men and women. That's what's weird. Things that we're looking out for is what does desperation do to a, a mom? What kind of damage? Can it produce those who scorn to obey their mother? Not to bless them? How about this inexplicable world of men and women? You're in a relationship with your husband. There are inexplicable aspects to that. We'll get on it. We don't get to go, hey, we're too dumb. We get to say, we have to seek insight. We're reading a book of Proverbs that is filled with insight about things and telling us where the questions are. Yeah, that area of desperation that barrenness has, that area of romance that is so... Ladies, you know, guys seem to be pretty... Guys, aren't we really easy to understand? We can already jot down the two things that motivate us. Hand you a slip of paper later on this afternoon. There it is. My life. We care about nothing else. But nonetheless, we're really complicated. It's hard for a woman, for a mom, to understand her husband, let alone the man. We're not going to talk about the guy understanding the woman, okay? This is encouraging to the, to the ladies to, to learn to understand that which are too wonderful to know. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. What's weird about that? Other than the fact that just threw the way of a man with a maiden and the adulteress. Next verse. What would that say to you? It's not so much, oh, you don't want to cringe whenever sexual sin is, is mentioned. Okay? Sexual sin, like other sins, are sins. And when you say adulterous, this has been going, this is 1000 BC, thereabouts, a long time ago, and adulteresses were then. The whole nine chapters of the first part of this book was about watching out for her. But what's interesting about this verse, the, 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 the takeaway, just like the, the bracketing on those numbered uh, Proverbs, and you're told, I don't really need to know about the serpent on the rock. I need to know about a way of a man with a maiden. What do I need to know about the adulteress here? What can I gain from that? She says, she has this insolent confidence. She wipes her mouth and says, it's like sitting at dinner, sitting there with your nanny. No, I've done nothing wrong. Well, everyone knows that's wrong because we have society, right? We have, we get embarrassed about people. Not when you're the adulteress. Not when you're about you. 
said, that kind of embarrasses me. All of our sin is us insisting on our way and then saying, like her, I have done no wrong. All of our sin. doesn't matter whether or not you were sleeping around with somebody you weren't married to, who was married to somebody else. doesn't matter if that happened. I have some malice against somebody. If I don't love somebody, if I am proud about that which I ought not be proud of, if I am... Pick a sin. Pick your sin. You're making... Do we always make... Unless we're confessing our sins. Unless we're going, Lord, I was wrong. When we look at our sin, Lord, I was wrong. You were right. Forgive me. That is the right and humble response to sin. The only other response is exactly like the adulteress. It's the insolence of self. There's a confidence. You think you can run your own... That's why you're doing it. You think you can run your own life. You think you could make the decision there. Oh, we're so shocked with something culturally so unacceptable as adultery... But it's just an, it's just sin. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. You have to tell me whether you think this is being bracketed, but two of them have to do with women. A slave, when he becomes king. A fool, when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband. And a maid when she succeeds her mistress. Oh, there's, there's depths of talk, cigars, and beer under that. Where you could sit back and go, okay, I really, do I really, I, yeah, slave who becomes king, fool, when he gets, you know, he's at the party and he's eating a lot. What are we looking at here? An unloved woman getting a husband. A maid when she succeeds her mistress. Insecure things. Resentful things. Incompetent things getting elevated. Oh, and everyone is waiting for the elevation. Everything in life. Everything in life. Ladies, you know what it's like to get a Martha Stewart magazine or whatever it is they want, the country living. Um, you open the book and there's the perfect kitchen. You look at your worthless husband. Why don't I have a perfect kitchen? You know, with, oh, what's trendy now? Granite? Is granite? I don't think granite's trendy anymore. I don't mean to insult any one of you who has granite countertops, but you went to all that money, he spent all that money and all that time, got you granite, and now the Martha Stewart magazine opens up and it's Corian. You know what you're, you know what you're up against. You're always trying to elevate. Everything wants to, I'll be happy when I finally get elevated. Because we're insecure about ourselves, the unloved woman, Hell on wheels when she gets a husband. All sorts of temptations in that one. Or the maid who used to be bossed around by the lady of the house and the lady either falls out of favor 
Oh, remember Hagar? She's looking at Sarah like, Ella, we know now it wasn't your husband's problem. As you probably said something that rhymes with witch. And Sarah took that poorly. A maid who succeeds her mistress. You can almost savor that. But again, hell on wheels. These are things that don't do our minds any good. So when I, when I look at the passage, I find out, okay, what's going on in the mind here? What is making these people have lofty eyes, curse their parents? What's making them curseable? The desperation about children. I think I've mentioned to you before, I have been in conversations with various Christian women, mothers of conservative principles politically, who when they found out their son was considering the US military, flipped out and became the worst hippie you ever met. Suddenly every accusation against the US military was sensible that you'd be brought up because my little Johnny might join. And I gotta stop him desperately because she's a desperate mother. I said, wait, hold it. I actually had one tell me that the military were baby killers. I heard that in the late 60s in Ann Arbor. You know, Vietnam, you heard of Vietnam? It was a war, we lost it. But that's what they accused soldiers of being, baby killers. And here was a Christian woman during the Gulf War telling me that her son joining the military was joining a bunch of baby killers. And I, are you insane? No, she was a mother. And there was no excuse for that. For being a mother there was, but not the desperation. And unless the women study the mind that sets out to tempt them, the insecurity, resolved elevation to your natural competition with other women, not to say that that has ever happened, ever. But they do feel that a little bit. And there's a sense of almost grotesque satisfaction when it works out. So we get our minds right, what do we do? Well, the elevation, the lifting up, the importance, until I get the perfect kitchen, unless I get the things, unless the standing of the home, our rating in the community is X, Y, or Z. All sorts of motives that aren't right. Eger tells us that four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are people not strong, yet they provide their food in, in the summer. The badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Now this is not, this is not, uh, what's the word? There's no bracketing here. They're all examples of the thing he says you should be paying attention to. Achievement, though small. Having the right view of, God's view of the world, God's view of what is important, 
says, even the ants do wonderful things. Even lizards are in king's palaces. He's letting you know that the small is capable. The kitchen that only has, dare I say it, formica. Can make great pies. At the same time, 29, three things are stately in their tread. Four are stately in their stride. The lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. That seems to deserve it, right? I don't mind a lion walking around like lions do. Don't they look kind of, they got that big thing, mane. Don't do any work, just walk around like they're the boss. You don't, go, you don't say to the lion, you're not the boss of me, because he'll kill you. And he is the boss of you. So you have a stately tread, you don't mind that. He walks around like he owned the place. He's the king of the beasts. But look at these others. The strutting cock. That's the rooster, you've seen the rooster? In our neighborhood, we, have, we don't have roosters. We have the tards. And the tards are the uh, quail. There's a bunch of quail that live at our day. You know, you know the quail are retarded. They, they're walking around. <laughs> and the, and, the, and, the, and the, the quail, I guess the quail cock, there's the hens. And they got that little doofus thing on their head. Because they're like, I'm going to really look like an idiot. It's like a young man wearing his baseball cap slightly twisted. <laughs> Because that shed says something. I don't know what. But the strutting cock. And, and they're, they're so full of themselves. These quail will, they'll be about a bunch of hens because they, they're like, I think polygamists. And, and all the hens are all docile and, 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 and servile. And this little plump thing is so bossy. It's chasing them all around, telling them where to go. The he-goat. And they walk around like that. And they butt you, too, by the way. And a king striding before his people. The question that arises, because he lets you know that some are so obviously just grasped after the strutting cock, the he-goat, and you'll wonder about the king striding before his people, that sense of Mussolini-like, you know, glorification, I am before my armies. He excuses the lion, he says, you know, because, you know, frankly, he's the mightiest and does not turn back to anything. But these others, they're strutting when they don't deserve it. Unless they deserve it, they shouldn't strut. So small things could be great things, and high things could be really confused. Understand your life. Going back to the beginning, there are those. Have I noticed them? Have I understood them? Talk with your husband. He'll enjoy the conversation when you analyze the situation say, I really want to know what this world is made of and what temptations lie in front of me in every circumstance. How do I set aside the anxiety? Because the next passage, 
in Proverbs um, 31. What's wonderful about Proverbs 31, and I'll just briefly speak to this, I have it, portions of it on the side here. The words of Lemuel, king of Masa. Masa is also the word for oracle, which makes more sense. I don't know why they tried it, because these are both oracular things. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle, which his mother taught him, which I always liked that. His mom taught him this stuff, and he's relating it to you as the teachings of his mother. Well, this woman is a pretty sharp unit. What, my son? What, son of my womb? What, son of my vows? Give not your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. That's mom, right there. Watch out for bad girls. Women are difficult kings, or four kings. And the king's mother knows this, because believe me, the way of a man with a maid, not understood. All sorts of desperation, all sorts of insecurities, all sorts of power grabs are there. Because a good wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Her husband, the heart of her husband, trusts in her. Now I trimmed out a lot of the practical things that it mentions in, the, in Proverbs 31. Great to read through. The heart of her husband trusts she girds her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. She opens her hand to the poor. She's not afraid of snow for her household. Strength and dignity are her clothing. We're not just moving. When we look at chapter 30, we see all these, you know, tripwires strung across life experience. Whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids. Whatever circumstance you came into marriage from. All sorts of things. Or whatever hopes and aspirations or what do you think your happiness is based on? Is it based on granite countertops? Or is this the description? The precious wife is trusted She's strong, she's merciful, she's not anxious. Have you seen that uh, short video clip? Unusually prescient and wise. I don't mean to speak ill of coconut oil, but it was making fun of coconut oil. Second City troop, two women in a kitchen talking about coconut oil, bragging about what coconut oil could do. Everything, it could raise the dead. She had picked up a dead bird in the yard, put coconut oil on it, it had come back to life. And they're out trying to outbid each other on what coconut oil will do. Very nicely acted, very funny women. Then one finally says, you know that dark, empty pit of anxiety that is in our lives? Wouldn't it be great if we could put coconut oil on that? Yeah, great. Brilliant. Because that's what these women are. One deep pit of anxiety. But the woman who is precious has worked this out. She goes, there are those who are this way. There are those who are above themselves. There are those who think that success in life 
having more, succeeding your mistress, finally getting a husband, overreaching on their kids. She doesn't understand what wisdom is. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. This goes all the way around from verse 11 of chapter 30. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Part of that is the kid we create. Part of that is the people we are. This woman gets called blessed. Well, you can't imagine if you drew a picture of that. Many women have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Back in chapter 30, the last verses, two verses. If you have been foolish, set these two worlds up. Have I examined what makes a wonderful wife and mother? Have I examined what naturally stumbles me in this world? The desperation, the insecurity, the sense of self-worth, all those things. Have I considered them all? Have I untied them, especially with my husband and the discussion with my husband about what, who am I? What am I like? What do the kids think of me? If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. We don't want that kind of household. We don't, everybody wants a calm, everybody pretends at church to have a calm household. You know what the condition of your household is and what degree of strife may or may not exist there. But it's a natural law. You push it, you put your finger on those things that we've been talking about, and push. You press home the insecurity, you press home the desperation, you start to voice things in that tone of voice that is so unacceptable in civilized society. You press those things, just like if you pop someone in the nose and they get a bloody nose. And just like you could make cheese out of milk, or at least curds. You're going to get strife. And I have this proverb misplaced I midway up before that Proverbs 31, Proverbs 24. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. That means that we've got to look at these things. The great description in 31 and there are times that Days like this, when everybody's sort of aware of those qualities that your mom has. You know, I, I, my mom died, what, five years ago? Almost five years ago. And my mother wasn't a good cook, let's just be honest. I barely survived. 
I was out shopping for a good cook because my mother wasn't. But my mother was a great mother when it came to cooking for her family. She wasn't a foodie, and we weren't raised foodies. But she had, I wanted my, my wife had to go to my mother, my wife, who's a great cook, had to go to my mother to learn how to make macaroni and cheese because my mother served her family great macaroni and cheese. Now that's a, we all have different talents levels. The lowest can be this great thing, like he says in 24. We have dangers in our thoughts about how we measure all this stuff. But mostly, although today celebrates moms, um, and we hope that you do celebrate Mother's Day and call your mother if she's not here. Call your mother. Tomorrow, you gotta be kinda like ladies, you gotta be kinda like Mary. You gotta lay these things up in your heart. You need to meditate on them because next year there's another Mother's Day. And you gotta be to the point where by the time you perish, They'll be bringing flowers to your grave. You know how they can forget to get you anything on Mother's Day? Oh, here's a card I just quickly made. You want them to come to your grave with flowers over here. Because they remember your greatness. Let's thank God. Lord, we're very grateful. The brilliance of how you've made families what you've given to women, it's hard for us to understand the, the great service that they are to each. We are told in the New Testament to remember that we have mothers. Lord, keep us with the right degree of honor to that thing, whether we are mothers or whether we've just had one. We would be encouraging each other to growing into this precious, blessed fear of you. We'd like to produce the kind of Christian women that are the envy of everyone. Make our homes good homes. In your son's name, amen.